Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 24, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm your co-host Aaron Sagers from Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera, joined as always by my cohort, Britt. Britt. Hello, Nightmaricans. Britt Emmy. That's me. And see, I just said your name that time, so you didn't have to awkwardly <laughs> then say it, not knowing. I'm never going to nail this just... greeting. I think we just need to move on from it. I'm always going to make it weird. One of the lovable foibles of Nightmarica <laughs> is not being able to properly introduce ourselves yeah. within the first 15 seconds of the show. Yeah. An intro is kind of difficult. It's though, awkward. Because, well, and more or less awkward than goodbyes. Goodbyes are pretty awkward. Yeah. Like when you say, Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you soon. Oh, or when, when you I say goodbye to, my... to someone in person and then you both walk away to the same place, that's awkward. Oh, that's very awkward. Yeah. Like, well, I'm just going to walk this way. Have you ever just hung back and been like, I'm going to I'm gonna just let them go. Oh, So I don't always. have to keep walking. Always. Yeah. Especially, like, on first dates that end weird. Yeah. Well, so if it's not a weird date, then it could be, like, a charming little ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Look at us. This is our meet cute moment. We're walking in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I find goodbyes perhaps even more awkward when well when I'm wrapping up something like a 
if I'm hosting something and saying goodbye to people, there's all these talking points that you have to get out messaging like, and don't forget tune in or Hey, and, mm-hmm. and if you can click on this link and blah, 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 blah. but there's also the just final moment of like, okay, bye now. <laughs> get, go on. It's true. Or, or when you hang up with your parents, like, I don't know how your parents are on the phone, but it takes 20 minutes to hang up with it my parents. It takes 20 minutes and no one can just like outright say we're done. So everyone's like, all right, all right, well, all right. And now when my two-year-old niece, Sydney, hears the word all right, she immediately goes, bye. Like even if you're in the middle of conversation, you're like, all right, well, maybe. And she goes, bye. You know what? Just bye. She's done. She's done. Yeah. And my one grandma just hangs up the phone. God, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My, when I'm talking to my parents, it's a lot of like, okay, well, I'll talk to you later. Well, I just wanted to check in on you. Well, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of wells. Yeah. So, okay, great. Well, you know, all right. Well, okay. Well, okay. Okay. Well, bye. Okay. 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 Well, it's so true. So there's no, there's, I sometimes just like, I got to take this other call and that's a good way to go. Yeah. That's a good way to go. Plus then you look interesting. Like you have a whole lot of other stuff going on. I don't think my family cares about me looking interesting. (laughs) Ouch. I really don't think that's something that they're interested in. Yeah. Interested in my interestingness. Anyhow, so this is a paranormal and true crime podcast. I'm glad we're talking about parent stuff. It's good. It's relatable. It's good. My parents listen. They're going to laugh. Good. People out there, you know, how do you, how do, how do your conversations with your loved ones yeah, wrap up? Yeah, what's your like our, trigger word? You're well and you're all right. Are greetings more awkward than goodbyes? You let us know. It's a hot topic. Uh, but. Speaking of pop topics, uh, we're going to be talking about, as the uh, as the title suggested, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. So we're talking about airplanes. But before we get into that, let's touch base with some news of the weird. Britt, what is your topic, your weird topic of the week? Well, I'm realizing... Or news topic, I, I guess. Sorry, interruption. found this article, but now as we're talking right now, I realize it connects to planes, which I didn't even think about. So this is funny. Eerie. Um, eerie. Spooky. A woman uh, was traveling, and the police in this Munich airport where she was had a very interesting day earlier this month um, when they had to inspect the wooden box that she was transporting. She ooh, was, ooh. I'm excited. Go on. Okay. So she was a 74-year-old woman, and when they went to open the box, they found... Wait, can I guess? Yeah, guess. Wooden box? Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, I want to say severed head, or some sort of antique sex toy. Uh, I wish... They found bones. Okay. So close to your severed head, but they found just like dusty old bones. And immediately a customs official was called in, prosecutors and a doctor. 
<laughs> were all called in to look at this box of bones. Um, they all like were investigating it, digging into it. They finally determined that this woman wasn't a criminal, but in fact, a grieving widow. She was on her way from Greece back to Armenia and had a layover in Munich. And she stated that her husband had been buried in Greece years ago, but she wanted to bring him back to Armenia to be laid to rest near their home. Um, so the police said, okay, and sent her on her way, which I'm sure is true, but also seems like a very convenient cover-up if they did actually kill someone. Yeah, typical <laughs> old lady cover story. <gasps> totally. So, wait, so she dug up those bones? She dug up the bones. Is it? There's got to be some sort of, now I'm no expert on Greek uh, law, but it seems like there should be some sort of rule against just randomly going and digging up I even know. a loved one that's how i feel it's like grave robbing even if it is your own people like you can't do that but maybe you can in greece or maybe they just had like a small like funeral when he died in like a backyard somewhere like you do for a pet i don't know it's more like grave relocating instead of grave robbing True. so let's adequately explain what this woman did. uh also so if it, it could not have been all of his bones i have no idea they just said it was a wooden box i didn't see that's any not pictures. even fair she's she's leaving some bones in his original grave and taking who, no you don't get two graves no that feels like uncomfortable in the afterlife like you would be a torso and an arm in one and then some legs in your other arm in another i was just thinking cheating it's like makes it more convenient for mourners to grieve oh. at a, like by coastal locations. So you don't have to go through all the work of actually going all the way to Greece. I don't know. But although Jane Mansfield has two, two grave sites, only one has her remains in it, but she has a grave site in Pennsylvania, which is where she is from. And then also a memorial in the, cemetery the famous cemetery in los angeles the um, hollywood forever cemetery uh, yeah that's it that's it's my it. so, favorite um song by father john misty cool um <laughs> i don't know the song i don't think i'll send it to you please do okay so okay well yeah i feel like there's a trend maybe all this time we've been looking at these lone wolf type of creepy people as suspects for crimes but maybe we need to be looking at some little old ladies right you know? that's what i and thought when i read this story so i think uh yeah i think we need to not that i'm advocating profiling but Maybe we just need to keep an eye on the little old ladies. True. I mean, so innocent. in retail, the shoplifters that I've experienced are like almost entirely old women. Oh, well, yeah, it's been a long time. But when I worked in restaurants, I, I mean, I worked in retail, too, but I don't recall any little old lady shoplifters there. But in restaurants it would be the older folks especially the little old ladies that would always steal the salt shakers it was my grandma. stuff off of the table yeah it was a hundred percent graham who also hangs up the phone immediately because she's in a hurry to go yeah. steal from <laughs> totally. restaurants totally 
I mean, I never would stop them because occasionally when I worked there, again, this was a long time ago, a manager would be like, hey, try to stop that. Lady. Like, no, that's an old lady. If she wants to steal a salt shaker, let her have it. Yeah. And if her she purse, wants to carry salt shakers, ketchup, sugars. Yeah. All of it. If she wants to transport bones internationally, let her do it. She's a little old lady. So I'm not going to stop her. Anyhow, Anyhow. well, uh, my news item, I, uh, I picked this. So. Pentagon establishes new task force to investigate UFOs. I almost so, did this with my story, and I was like, I can't. Aaron's going to do it. I got to find something else. Yeah. Well, I I pulled the link from Politico, but really, this is just all over the place. That the Pentagon, under growing pressure from Congress, quote unquote, has decided has established a new high level body to investigate reports of unidentified aerial phenomena, aka UFOs. Following recent years of uh, multiple incidents of crafts that have been seen over military in military airspace, this was created by the De- Deputy Defense Secretary David Norquist on August 4th. And, quote, the Pentagon said, quote, the Department of Defense established the UAPTF feel like they could have gone with a catcher name. Yeah. UAPTF to improve its understanding of and gain insight into the nature and origins of UAPs. Also known as UFOs. Guys, you're not going to change this. It's not going to yeah. catch on. Stop trying to make UAP happen. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Exactly. And so I do want to say this is interesting news. But there's a but here. But... I don't know. It's interesting news. But it's also like in light of current political Mm -hmm. events. Maybe we should be focusing on the post office and getting elections right. I was going to say that. And and I'm all about looking into this stuff, but it's just sort of a little lower on the priority list for me right now. So. You know, we're recording this in August and August 17th and 18th and hot topic right now about the post office. Yeah. Let's get that right. Buy some stamps. I highly recommend the Halloween stamps. They have them all year round. It's what I use. If you are in our Patreon and you join, you get our sticker. You get a little handwritten note from me with the Halloween stamp. They're like shiny. They have cats. They're great. Buy some stamps. Buy some stamps. Also, write to your congressmen and women saying fix the post office. And yeah, so... And and fix the, the whole system of mailing so your grandmother can just mail the bones from her husband to someone else to bury so um well let's dive into the topic a little bit that i forget how we landed on this topic that's not an airplane i was just gonna say (laughs) but it was on my mind because my story which i'll get into i was actually recently talking to dan Aykroyd about which excuse me i know Danny, actually, he does actually. When I when I was interviewing him, out of respect, I said Mr. Ackroyd, and he's like, "No, no, no, Danny is fine." You don't call uh, me so, Miss Emmy. No, but I'm not interviewing you. 
if I was if this was a formal thing, I you know I use sir. As we've Mr. learned, this is not a formal thing. Um, but Dan Aykroyd was talking a lot about the story, which I'll be going into, and it's just you know it it lined up nicely with that. But Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet. Do you know that reference? I mentioned it earlier. Um, you told me before we started recording that it's from the Twilight Zone. So, yes, it's from the Twilight Zone. <laughs> do you remember, do you have any uh, awareness or kind of have you absorbed through osmosis, pop culture osmosis? This this is a big one. This is a big Twilight Zone episode that you should watch. Well, you and um, I, when the first Twilight Zone, or not the first Twilight Zone, <laughs> when the newest Twilight Zone revamp came out, you and I watched... One where it was on a plane. Oh, did we watch that episode? I, was yeah, that I the episode that we're we, talking about? Yes. Yeah, so, so yes. Well, yes and no. So the original Nightmare at 20,000 Feet was directed by Richard Donner, uh, who was a big director in the 80s. Of the Donner and, Party? No. Actually, I don't know if Jokes. he had any connection to it, but he did direct Superman and The Omen, which is more mm -hmm. in our paranormal uh, wheelhouse. And so that was a, a 1961 episode, I think, or 63 episode starring William Shatner. Oh, great. Written by Richard Matheson, who is just an acclaimed uh, sci-fi and horror writer. But the whole thing is that it's a guy in a plane and he sees... A gremlin, which was a guy in a big carpeted suit, it looks like, in the 1963 episode, on the wing of a plane. And as he's trying to tell people there's a freaking gremlin on the wing of the plane tearing up crap, everybody thinks he's just cracking up. So they try to give him drugs. They try to restrain him. And, and then at the end of the episode, as he's wheeled off of the plane and they say, oh, my God, you're... You know, he's crazy. He's he's going to the loony bin. They pan out and there are scratch marks and everything on the wing of the plane. So he was not hallucinating the whole thing. And then in the Twilight Zone movie, which was in the 80s, I think 83. So um, so like 20 years later. It was another gremlin. But then the episode that we saw in 2019 nightmare at 30,000 feet uh i didn't really like that one as much i don't they, remember they didn't go it. with the they didn't really go with the gremlin theme which is okay they went with adam scott from oh, parks right. and rec they went with him having like discovering this podcast or discovering this this <gasps> yeah this player um i don't i don't know what it was but like uh, it looked like a kind of an old uh ipod mm -hmm. in the back seat of his of his um seat of his seat back seat of his seat the back pocket of his seat yeah. and then he hears this this podcast that's playing like this uh very eerie kind of prescient thing saying that the plane he's on is going to go down and all that yeah. and he starts to go a little bit crazy too anyhow that's what uh so that's that's why we went with that title it's a great episode. It's one of the ones that if you ever watch an old Twilight Zone episode, you definitely have to check out. All right. I'll watch it. When was the last time? Well, you were on a plane recently. I was on a plane recently. I escaped New York during COVID um, to go to Phoenix. But 
I like lived on planes growing up because being overseas, like we would fly back to Chicago for summer, for Christmas. Like I was on planes 24 seven. So I'm very, very comfortable on planes. Um, And my most favorite plane memory is when my, I had to be like 12. No, it was before that. It was maybe like 10 years old. And my family is flying back to America and this super annoying, like wannabe bougie couple in front of us are being just real snobby. And the guy goes, hon, can you get the LV out of the overhead compartment? Like the Louis Vuitton bag. My dad gets up and turns to my mom and goes, hon, can you get the RB out of the overhead compartment? Because we just had a ghetto Reebok duffel bag. Mm. <laughs> oh, my dad. It's it's dad jokes. I love a dad joke. It is funny. And did the couple uh, respond? No. I don't think yeah. they heard us. We weren't that close. But it was just like an yeah. inner family joke. I see. Which is now quotable around the dinner table, I'm certain. Uh, you know it. I don't know what my favorite plane memory was, but I've basically in my career lived on, I didn't first fly. I wasn't on a plane until probably 19 years old, 18 years old. Mm. First flight was quite late in life, but I've more than made up for it because I've traveled quite a bit and professionally spent a lot of time on planes. And my last trip was February of 2020 and i can't it's it's weird not having been on a plane for all this time really that was your last flight february 2020 yeah when you went to queen mary no this is 2020 right now that was 2019 oh my god it's not 2021 no time has no meaning anymore oh my god this whole like last week i have been thinking it's 2021 well, I mean, essentially, we are writing off 2020. So, close. Close. Weird. Uh, but, no. Let's not yeah, bypass our birthdays. No, I'm happy bypassing my birthday. Why? Because this year was so unnotable, unnoteworthy, that I'm just fine, like, not having it. Well, you had a big birthday last year. I had a big birthday party last yeah. year, yes. Um, but but not that I'm concerned about age. It's just that this year feels like so, such just Weirdness. ready to scratch it off. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, last, yeah. So anyhow, I'll be excited to return to planes. And we'll sort of be doing that, except mm-hmm. maybe not in the best way, because I don't know what your story is, but mine's depressing. Mine's depressing. So, oh, great. If you guys are Buckle nervous up. flyers, maybe don't listen. I don't know. Should we give a but, trigger warning? I mean, I don't know, but I tend to think maybe they wouldn't have downloaded it if they were going to be nervous flyers. I will say, in the podcast biz, Britt, don't typically want to tell people not to listen to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. So. Like, I just don't want people to, like, get nervous. But I guess you won't be on a plane anytime soon, so just, like, get over it. And we're putting it right out there. It's, they know they've downloaded a plane episode. Okay. We will, however, give you trigger warnings if it's something like really, you know, violent or whatever. Okay. But, but anyhow, so 
Uh, let's get a word from our sponsor. Think things are bad now? Well, it could be worse. Don't believe me? Just read Dead Run, the new sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive. And if you can't keep running, now this is the ad copy, so I'm reading the ad copy because it says, if you can't keep running, you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long. It's not a good scene. Mm -mm. It's a very messy situation. And it's got to have marinara sauce because then it kind of looks like blood. Right. And this, the pasta itself would be sort of Ew. look like viscera. Ew. And except in a microwave, but at least in a microwave, you're contained. The, the explosion is contained. Yep. It's a messy microwave to clean up. But if you're running down the road and you can't keep, can't Flat. run anymore, just splat. You're just, and then you're all over <laughs> your friends and the other Ew. apocalyptic pals. Ew, do not nearby. splat on me. And in an apocalypse, you don't have easy access to soap, water. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if you can stop running long enough to sh like shampoo and, and bathe after Ew. your friend, your your pal is just blown up on you. Anyhow, I mean, this is really, I think, selling the book. Anyhow, the story follows a group of weary travelers as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule. Run or die. This is Dead Run. And other than being chilling and scary, it will also perhaps inspire you to eat the right kind of carbs <laughs> and jog every day just in case this apocalypse hits. So check it out. It's available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only like three bucks. It's well worth your three bucks. And read Dead Run by Mike Maddox on Amazon Kindle. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we're ready to dive in. Take off. Let's ready take to off. Take off. Tray tables up and seatbelts on. Um, back seats forward, uh, straightened. Yep, seats and forward, straightened. Put your electronics in airplane mode, but don't unless you've downloaded this for offline play. So yeah, well, no, still do it because it'd be rude for you not to put it in airplane mode, but. <laughs> But listen, buckle up and listen. I don't know. Yeah. Let's just anyway. go with the story. Um, the story that I'm telling today is inspired by one of my favorite ID channel shows called A Crime to Remember. Um, it's just like a interesting true crime show because it has this kind of like Mad Men feel. It's like a vintage aesthetic and um, it's 
told by a voiceover that is pretending to be someone near to the case, like a neighbor. Um, they have detectives and officers interviewed, but what I really love is they'll get like our like true crime celebrities like Karen Kilgariff on to be a talking head. Um, the late Michelle McNamara is actually on a few episodes in I think season four, so it's just a good show. So this is uh, is season one, episode four. I won't say the title because I want to kind of build some suspense. Um, but the story starts on November 1st, 1955, when the people of Longmont, Colorado, call the police because airplane seats and luggage were falling from the sky into their yards, uh, the majority of land being a beet farm, uh, which I found just an interesting fun fact. Uh, this is chaos because it's 1955 and air travel was like still a really new concept. Um, so many of the people calling had no idea what they were even seeing. Like, what is an airplane seat? They just were saying that chairs were falling from the sky, which has to be insane. Uh, of course, police and investigators raced to the scene and they found airplane debris spread for about six miles. And based on how like the debris spread, they determined that this was due to a plane exploding in midair. Um, immediately they jump into action and interestingly, they recreated the plane in a hangar, um, despite the metal kind of being so twisted and warped, they were able to like piece it all back together in this hangar, which was really interesting to see the recreation of on the show. Um, they did it so they could figure out the cause. They first thought it was going to be the fuel tank because planes back then actually use like a very volatile fuel that they don't use anymore. Um, but as they're looking into it, they realize the explosion was actually in cargo holds number four, uh, meaning this was out of someone's suitcase. Uh, they realize someone may have packed something dangerous. And when looking into the remnants in that section, they found bits of copper wire that would not be part of the plane's construction, as well as a suitcase that smells like sulfur which can occur in a dynamite explosion. It can also be the sign of a demonic infestation. Wouldn't that be the greatest twist if that's what caused this? It would be quite interesting, but I'm guessing that's not where you're going. That's not where I'm going. Uh, this is the bombing of Flight 629. That was the title of the show I didn't want to say in the beginning because I wanted to build suspense. Uh, the flight had 39 passengers and five crew members and all 44 people died on the plane. This was before flying was really common practice, like I said. So for most of these people, it was their very first flight and no one on the plane was of a dangerous background or anything abnormal. Uh, so um, right off the bat, they can't figure out, you know, just looking at the passenger list who did it. It wasn't like a president was on board or anything. So... Investigators started by interviewing the friends and family of everyone on board and looked for anyone who could have had financial benefit from these deaths. At the time of the explosion, companies sold life insurance policies out of a vending machine people on the flight could purchase for themselves before boarding, which is so interesting. It was just like a little kiosk, like how they used to sell cigarettes and you could just buy life insurance for like a quarter. Um, so they, well, this was 1955. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like I kind of, I kind of believe it because while 
commercial aviation, you know, really started booming post World War II. I would say that it, yeah, it maybe wasn't something that everybody was engaging in. So maybe there was enough of a, a you know, foreboding factor to it that yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to just pick up some insurance before I get on this thing hurtling through the air. Yeah. On the show, they reference it to being like uh, throwing a penny in a wishing well. Like you throw a quarter into the machine for good luck before you get on your flight. Oh, not wishing to go down. Oh. Like, no. I'm like, I'm like, lady, what kind of wishes are you making? <laughs> I'm never traveling with you. Um, but like literally everyone on the plane did this. So they had to kind of sort through and nothing jumped out immediately of like red flags. So from there, they then go and figure out what is in that specific cargo hold. What's really ironic is that when they were loading cargo, one of the baggage handlers lost his keys in this specific cargo hold. So they had to remove the luggage and then only suitcases originating from Denver. Cause this was before planes had large uh, fuel tanks. So it was like in Chicago and then somewhere else and then Denver. So only suitcases originating from Denver were put in that cargo hold. And they remember because they had to pull them all out again, um, that it was only three pieces of luggage in that section. And only one of them was heavy enough to strike the handlers as odd. And that was a suitcase belonging to a 54-year-old woman named Daisy Eldora King. She boarded the flight in Denver to visit her grandkids in Alaska. And she was currently living in Denver with her son, Jack. As they were interviewing her children, Jack and Helen, investigators learned that Daisy had a really difficult life. Her husband died during the Great Depression, and to be able to work and earn money to care for her children, she had to uh, place them in the care of other people. So her daughter was put in a religious boarding school, and her son was actually sent to an orphanage. In 1940, she remarried and her son Jack thought like, oh, this is, you know, my time. This is when I can get out of the foster care system and back with his mom. But Daisy's new husband didn't want to have children. So she did not take him back, which I'm sure is a huge psychological blow to Jack. Um, I couldn't find out why that marriage ended. I'm guessing possibly death of some kind because Daisy suddenly came into money after that. Um, and so she bought a home for her now adult son, Jack, as a gift. He was married, had a kid of his own, and Daisy bought a house that had a basement apartment. So she was hoping she could live there and kind of heal the wounds of their relationship. From what it sounded like to me, Daisy had to suffer from depression, maybe even PTSD from her super hard life. And they said she even once attempted suicide. And this really impacted her relationship with her son. He begrudged her for abandoning him while she felt super defensive being like, you know, I was doing the best that I could with what I had. So it's a tough situation from both sides. But with this new money, Daisy bought the house and then decided to open a restaurant called the Crown A Drive-In and gave it to her son to manage as a family business. So investigators asked her children to walk them through what happened the day she was boarding the plane. Um, they claimed that morning Daisy packed her suitcase and that she had placed ammunition 
in it because it was caribou season in Alaska where she was going to, and she wanted to hunt well in Alaska. Um, yeah. And you want to, you want to bring your ammunition with you because they just gouge you right? on the caribou ammo on the ground. So felt like a weird know. story. Well, not, a, not, a, not 1955, maybe now it's, it's weird and funny, but yeah, but yeah, always pre-purchase your caribou Definitely. ammo or don't kill caribou. I don't know. Don't kill caribou. Yeah. I don't know what the extinction rate is with that, but, uh, once at the airport, her luggage was weighed and it's marked 30 pounds overweight. Daisy's shocked, but her son immediately jumps in and offers to pay the difference since she's cutting it close to the flight takeoff time. Um, Daisy then gives Jack three quarters to buy her life insurance with, and he purchases three different uh, amounts in the name of his name, Daisy's sister's name, and then his sister, Helen. So interestingly, uh, they discover in the investigation that this actually isn't the first time Daisy has been around an explosion, in September of that year, their Crown A restaurant had an explosion due to a gas leak, and they actually reserve, uh, received an insurance payout for it. It turns out the business was losing money, and she was fighting with Jack uh, because she wanted to sell it. He didn't because if they sold it, he would lose his job, and then she would just profit off the sale, and he would be left with nothing. Uh, so this is making the detectives kind of connect the dots that this might be Jack wanting his mother gone. The Then Jack's wife Gloria told police that the day of the plane crash or plane explosion, she saw her husband carrying a wrapped present to his mother's room. Hearing this, they decide to now search the house uh, it's been 12 days after the after the crash, and they found an insurance policy hidden behind a piece of furniture that Jack had taken out on Daisy for thirty thousand um, dollars. So he kind of lied when he said he had only bought the three policies. It's like, yeah, you only bought the three policies from the like vending machine, but separately he bought one for thirty thousand um, dollars. They also found spools of copper wire similar to what was in the explosion site at his house. And he claimed it was from construction done at the restaurant, but the investigators pushed back saying this is exactly what was found at the explosion. And upon hearing this, Jack Gilbert Graham confesses to the crime, stating, I have had enough. It was pretty simple. Which is kind of a motionless confession. Um, turns out the wrapped present his wife had seen him with the morning of was actually a bomb he had packed into Daisy's suitcase, claiming it was a gift for her. He had used a kitchen timer to stall the explosion, uh, instead of like, you know, just going off whenever it was like a old school kitchen timer. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, it also like the idea of them being like, oh, it's 30 pounds overweight. And he's like, no, we'll just pay it. Like he has to know, like it's time is ticking away. Um, upon Daisy's death, he would have earned her life insurance and the restaurant, um, not only making him a rich man, but also ridding him of his mother. 
They filed a charge against him for attempted and deliberate murder, and he was convicted in the first degree and sentenced to death. He was killed 14 months after the explosion in the gas chamber, um, and a few weeks after he was found guilty, the current president, Dwight Eisenhower, put an act into law prohibiting the bombing of an airline. And that's my story. Yeah. So I have questions, though. Great. Um, the, uh, it is, so when you first started telling this, I thought you were going to tell the Canadian time bomb, because there was a, there was a plane brought down in 1949 that was very similar to this. That's the one um, with Hale Boggs on it, right? Um, it was like a senator it, or something from Alaska? Maybe I don't know about that part. I know that um it was the like the Albert Quay or Joseph Albert Quay um murder. Like he was he killed twenty three people oh. um aboard a flight and supposedly inspired uh I, I guess had some sort of it must sound like he had some sort of inspiration for this one since yeah. it was not that that uh long after. The question I have, though, for you is, so was this a separate suitcase or a package placed in the suitcase? This was a package placed in her suitcase. And she didn't notice. Correct. That this was put in there. I'm sure. Maybe he was just helping her with the bag or whatever. Yeah, she was like in her 50s. Like, I'm sure he just helped carry the suitcase in and all that stuff. Yeah, God forbid someone in their 50s I know. pick up I their mean, own suitcase. I mean, can you pick up your own luggage? You're getting close. Ouch. I'm not getting that close. <laughs> and uh, so the... I, I realize there weren't laws on the books at this time about airplane, um, you know, murders yeah. <laughs> blowing up an airplane. But he was executed just for the one murder? Yes. It's kind of a rip-off. I know. Isn't that a rip-off? Like, you killed everybody on that flight. You killed 44 people. In the show, they do, like, a story of, like, who was all on the plane. There was, like, a mom bringing her son to meet her, to meet his dad, who had been serving in the military like his whole life and he hadn't met him. It was like, Oh my God, like this guy just ruined the lives of so many people. Yeah. That's especially monstrous. I mean, that yeah. that's mass murder, mass murderer level. Yeah. I would say like, I mean, not that, not that I'm endorsing, you know, placing bombs and killing anyone, but when you really care so little about people that you're willing to take down an entire plane. And that's the thing too, is it's not like, not like he meant to kill one person and accidentally took everybody else out. Like he set out to take out this entire plane. Yeah. And his wife was like crying and sobbing on the day of his execution, understandably. But she was like, now I'm alone. Now I'm alone. And part of me wants to be like, well, you were probably always alone. If your husband is willing to kill 44 people in order to just kill his mother, like he probably was not a great husband. Yeah, and um, yeah, and all the people that were murdered, their families are also left alone. Yeah, 
So, um, it just doesn't sound like, and it sounds like he just had no remorse after the whole deal. Yep. What a dick. What a dick. Well, that story, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I kind of knew little bits and pieces about that, but, um, you know, that's, uh, definitely a sad one. Yeah. And And now we go from one sad one to another. Yeah, it's going to also be sad. So let's take a break with the sponsor. We'll come back with the next story. Nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kit, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, along. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop, whoop! That's what, that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this Lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquatchicles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can... Fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashicles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology... It does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the squash code. You gotta stay undercover, you know. I can even groom up my squashicles in the middle of the night. Because it's got an LED light on it. So you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped ball deodorant to, to make the squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when Skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you Flowers instead of Skunky. Well, Skunky... If you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely, and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. 
No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. Okay, we're back. And this one is, oh, I guess we're looking at 1972. So a little less than 20 years after your story takes Mm -hmm. place. And it is the story of Eastern Airlines Flight 401. Now, in normal times, there are 44,000 flights daily in, uh, in, in the U.S. It's a lot of flights. And, you know, you don't really think about, I, I mean, I, I fly a lot. I'm not concerned about flying. I like flying. Um, and I don't really think about things going wrong. You know, I, you just can't really control it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, nor should you, I, I, nor should, I, I don't think you should be too concerned, um, constantly about that. Um, but sometimes things do go wrong and sometimes the reasons are really, I'll just say it like stupid in their uh, tragically stupid. So Eastern airlines flight, L, uh, 1011-1 TriStar, the, the Eastern Airlines flight, was a wide-body jetliner, simply known as Flight 401. It had only been in service for four months, December 29th, 1972. It's flying from New York to Miami. I think it departed around 9.20 p.m., Leaving the cold of New York to head to Miami, warm beaches, warm weather, and also still the holiday time and there's the feeling of revelry and festive uh, feeling in the air. Carried 163 passengers, 13 crew members, piloted by pilot Bob Loft and flight engineer Don Repo. So, as it was making its final landing approach to Miami International Airport, first couple hours of the flight, just mundane. And this was an exceptionally quiet plane. It was uh, one of the people that were on board recalled just easily falling asleep on the plane, so the engines didn't make a lot of noise. But as it was making its final landing approach to Miami International Airport, they flip up the, uh, you know, activate the landing gear and a light on the instrument panel that the first officer was monitoring failed to illuminate. And the pilots supposed to illuminate green and the pilots assumed, well, okay, the gear is probably down, but for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. it's not illuminating the, the signal. Um, illuminating this light. But that's what would confirm that this landing gear was extended and locked. Oh, God. Didn't illuminate, but they still thought it was. Meanwhile, the pilot chirped over the comms, welcome to sunny Miami. Temperature is in the low 70s, and it's beautiful out there tonight. So Captain Robert Loft, he was 55 years old, 30 years of experience. Around 11.32 p.m., 
They call into the tower, Captain Loft does, and says, quote, tower, this is Eastern 401. It looks like we're going to have to circle. We don't have a light on our nose gear yet. Tower replied, quote, Eastern 401, pull up, climb straight ahead to 2000, go back to approach control. So the plane climbed to 2000 feet and the captain ordered the first officer to turn the autopilot on. Now, their hope was to, by circling, they would have a delay that would allow them to fix this lighting problem. And the crew tried to replace this bulb on the instrument panel. It was sort of this all-in-one kind of unit that you take out, this little rectangular thing. And as they were trying to replace it, it kept jamming. I can imagine a bit of the commotion as this was happening. You know what it's like. You're just trying to you know, fit something mm-hmm. into... And maybe you knock something else. Well, that's what happened. <gasps> the captain accidentally bumped the control wheel, which deactivated the autopilot. Mm. The plane dipped a few degrees, but nobody noticed. And then it started dropping from the sky 200 feet each minute. An alarm mm. chirped when there was a 200-foot 250 foot drop however nobody noticed because they were trying to replace this indicator this indicator by the way that cost twelve dollars approximately twelve dollars oh my god it's just at eleven forty-two p.m 10 minutes after they first tried to activate the landing gear eleven forty-two p.m the first officer was recorded saying we did something to the altitude what asked the captain we're still at 2000 we're still at 2000 right the first officer asked hey what's happening here the captain shouted then silence they were flying over the everglades and went down and the left wing tip banked into the swampy marsh of the everglades at 227 miles per hour the plane as it started to uh well, it was crashing and separating. It was pinwheeling through mud and and the vegetation of the Everglades. And it created a quarter mile long trail of debris. Now, the Everglades, uh, even now, but especially at that time, I would say, were some of the most unforgiving terrain, at least in the country, possibly the world. It is very wild down there. There's sawgrass that you know can just slice your hand open there's poisonous snakes there's alligators and this thing went down into the water and a fireball blew through the fuselage there was an enormous flash of flame two fuel tanks burst open and two pilots uh, not on this plane but other pilots had seen this and they called the airport 25 miles away, game warden Gray Leonard actually saw what he said looks like gasoline poured on a campfire. Gray Leonard is one of the people that's part of this story because this game warden goes uh, and meets up with some FAA representatives and they hop in an airboat and they start heading to this site that's deep in the Everglades. And He actually told Flamingo Magazine, a South Florida magazine, in 2018, I believe, 
that when he arrived, there's a he has a really gruesome story that about discovering two bodies and they the blast had basically blown off their clothes and it's quite gruesome that he came upon these bodies so quickly and you can't hit brakes on an airboat there's no such thing as brakes really oh god and he actually went over these poor bodies Whoa. and but he went on to tell Flamingo Magazine, quote, this was one of those moments where there aren't enough words in the dictionary to describe the devastation. Dead bodies hung, lay, and floated everywhere I looked. But we knew our job was to rescue the survivors first. There would be plenty of time for body recovery. So they were focusing on gathering survivors. Meanwhile, Stewardess, they were still called stewardesses at the time. Beverly Raposa was only 25 years old, this young oh. woman. She woke up in the plane, burned from jet fuel, and suspended six feet above this marshy water. She drops down into the water, and she begins gathering up survivors and trying to lead them out of the wreckage. Oh, my God. And even during this time... There was quite a bit of time that was passing, and imagine just this scene of like of of horror and wreckage all around you, and people that are clearly dead. Some of them, your loved ones. People were scared, and then people didn't think anybody would find them because, again, of this terrain. And she recalled that there was even people asking about the alligators around them, and. She just said that, oh, well, I'm sure the blast probably scared away the alligators, which hopefully it did. She also eventually started singing Christmas carols, because, again, this is the holiday season, to try to oh my God. assuage fears. And she was gathering up these survivors and getting them out of there. Meanwhile, there was also another man who he... Uh, I, was someone that saw this uh, on the ground, saw this uh, this devastation, saw the crash, and actually took his um, his airboat as well, like into the waters to try to recover anyone he could. Um, so there were some some heroes. Richard yeah. Marquise was um, was the he was like a he laid carpet. Uh, that was his job. Is career um but he is known more as a hero because when he saw this flash of light he went out into the everglades and tried to um gather up survivors but it took nearly four hours for all of the survivors to be cleared out there was 101 fatalities 98 mm. people died in the everglades where the airplane crashed and three later died in hospitals so, major, major tragedy. Just terrible. Yeah. And both, uh, both the Bob Loft and Don Repo died in this crash as well. Bob Loft, not to make light of the situation, but it kind of makes me think of an Arrested Development, the lawyer, Bob 
what is it? Bob Bob Law's law firm. Yeah, Bob Bob Law. <laughs> um, His law blog, Bob Bob Law Law's blog. Yeah, played by Henry Winkler. <laughs> yeah. Correct. It's a great, it's yes. a great character. But okay, I'm but sorry. They could not sense that the plane was going down. Not until it was too late. So I, I apparently. It was this gradual drop, and then by the time that they realized it, it was too late. God. I mean, they were only at 2,000 feet. I don't so know dropping, what that equates to. Well, if you're dropping at 200 feet per minute, you know, in five minutes, you've already dropped 1,000 okay, feet. Okay, okay. This is in ten of... minutes, you've dropped two thousand. And and keep in mind that this initially occurred at a, so when they activated the landing gear eleven thirty two p.m. and at eleven forty two is when the first officer said we did something to the altitude. These were the final words. We did something to the altitude. What we're still at two thousand, right? Hey, what's happening here? Oh. 10 minutes. So that about tracks, if they're dropping yeah. 200 feet every minute, 10 minutes later, you know, so this tragedy made a lot of news. This was huge. I believe this was the first, um, wide body flight, uh, that had gone down or, or wide body jetliner, but 1973, couple early 1973 so only a month two months later a flight from newark new jersey to miami an eastern airlines flight there was a pilot that was deadheading uh, which is mm -hmm. when they're on a plane they're not working but they're flying home off the clock this pilot was in full uniform but not on the manifest. Flight attendant goes and asks the man questions to determine who he is. He only stared ahead, didn't respond. The captain of this flight comes out, sees this other pilot, and exclaims, my God, it's Bob Loft. <gasps> oh my God. Supposedly the ghost of Bob Loft and sightings began really early on of both Bob Loft and Don Repo's ghosts. There was a reflection of Repo's face in the galley of an, uh, in, in an oven galley that was supposedly damaged. And this one is, uh, is especially creepy that supposedly an attendant opened an overhead compartment and saw the face of Bob Loft <gasps> oh. staring back at her. Oh, I would shit a brick. Yeah, that would be, that would be a, uh, quite shocking. I guess that would count as a head case in the overhead. Then. Um, so Don Repo was said to have been seen by an entire cockpit crew, that he was in the cockpit. And he reportedly warned them about a faulty electrical circuit, which was then discovered, found, and repaired. There was also Flight 903 flying from JFK to Mexico City. 
And this attendant, her name was Faye Merriweather, also saw the face of Don Repo. In this instance, she gathered, it was said that she gathered her fellow attendants together and they all saw Don Repo's face and he apparently warned them about a fire on the airplane. Now, while the plane did land safely in Mexico City, on the second leg of the trip, the plane's engine did start to malfunction. They were able to return safely back to the airport, but the story goes, had it continued on this journey, it would have it would have uh, not survived. Wow. He was also, this was Repo, was also reported in the avionics bay of another L-1011 craft. And this was, and he was seen checking on the landing gear. This is crazy. So th- there's at least 20 sightings that have been documented. There was, on different flights, supposedly even an Eastern Airlines vice president encountered this. And this is somewhat mysterious, Quite can't quite verify this, but the story is that logbooks of certain Eastern flights where these sightings occurred even disappeared. Now, this happened late. 1972 in the 1974 issue of flight safety foundation newsletter which i'm assuming was a pretty straightforward sober trade publication it was a trade publication was already writing about these instances and robert now robert j serling who is actually rod serling's older brother which who was the creator of the twilight zone so Things are connecting. He wrote a book in 1980 called From the Captain to the Colonel, An Informal History of Eastern Airlines. And in that, they, you know, it was said that a lot of these are myths and just bunk. However, the 1976 book, The Ghost of Flight 401, John G. Fuller's book, said had interviews with Eastern employees who reported these sightings to supervisors and those employees were then asked to go see a psychologist and that the, the stories became so widespread that the management of Eastern Airlines told employees that if they if they were caught telling these stories, they would be fired. <gasps> oh, that's bad so, management. Well, I mean, it's also bad business to be talking about ghosts on your plane when you've when you're also the company that had the plane that went down and killed 101 people. But I guess so the thing that makes this so especially notable as a ghost story is and this is something that Dan Aykroyd was really latching onto and was talking a lot about. He, He believes this. He buys into this story. So at some point it was said that Eastern Airlines, they were able to salvage parts from Flight 401 and that many of those same parts were then put onto aircraft such as Flight 318 or Aircraft 318, uh, which was another in in the fleet of Eastern Airlines. And that those planes that were carrying certain 
parts were were connected to the hauntings. Oh my god, it's like James Dean's car. That I mean, and that's like sort of this notion of psychometry that energy could be attached to objects, inanimate objects, or that you know certain psychics will, will hold up an object and and get some sort of either communication or memory or reading off of an object. I I do think that some of this is is questionable because these these sightings supposedly happened in early 1973. So the two reasons for that, you definitely wouldn't have salvaged parts on the plane that early. I don't think so. But I think that maybe either, either this, this story was so fresh in people's minds that it, it was just ripe for a ghost story. Or if it was indeed a phantom then perhaps these unresolved issues... I mean, we were talking about a sudden, traumatic, Mm -hmm. tragic demise, which is said to create a ghost like that. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe the unresolved issues. If, you know, we're seeing Loft and Repo, these men that... I mean, it's got to be... If you have some awareness that you accidentally knocked the, the... deactivated the autopilot off maybe that creates some sort of unresolved issue and Mm -hmm. then you you decide that you want to focus on helping others oh i totally buy that so anyhow if those the the story of the salvage parts was called into question but who knows i don't i don't know that the company would admit to it but eastern airlines did cease operations in 1991 and this went on to be a very famous ghost story, modern ghost story. And and even Bob Welch, who used to be in Fleetwood Mac, recorded a song titled The Ghost of Flight 401. Oh. He, re- he recorded that in 1979. So in just seven years, it had already reached the, you know, the pop culture awareness. Wow. So interesting, creepy, and, and certainly one that, I remember this was a, a story that I heard bits and pieces of from a young age, both because of the Florida connection, but also this was sort of a new story, um, still newish story, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so there you have it. Do you want to hear something creepy? Please. So listeners, as you know, Aaron and I don't plan or like, I mean, we pick a topic and then we just like show up. Um, so I did my, I write the, I wrote this week's mini-sode and it is on an Eastern Airlines flight from Newark to Miami, but oh, well. not your flight. But like, we don't know that. Hmm. Interesting. Also plug for the Patreon. Synchronicity. Yeah. Synchronicity. It is worth noting that I want to be very sensitive to the people that were on flight 401, both the families of the deceased and those who survived. There are survivors out there Mm -hmm. and you can, I would encourage looking up more about this story, about the stories of heroism Mm -hmm. that emerged from this and 
people that were in a horrible situation and, and lost loved ones, but still managed to survive. And Miami Herald has uh, done some great uh, look at the at this story. They did one in 2018, and. Like I said, Flamingo Magazine actually did a really solid one. So there are, there are some good retrospectives out there. And oh, just one interesting note that I, I find is like the swamp water both contain the swamp water and muck perhaps helped contain some pe- or contain wounds that prevented some people <gasps> from bleeding to death. But on the other hand, there was so much gunk and uh, microbes and everything in the water that it also exacerbated other wounds. Wow. So, so yeah, nature is a fickle beast. Indeed she is, but great. That was a great so, story. I had never heard of that before. Thank you. Well, before we wrap things up, you want to talk some paranormal pop culture and what you're into this week? Yeah, I think you're going to be super excited. I have started, bum, 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 The X-Files. Oh, wow. I know. I'm on episode three. Um, it's You great. only have like 297 episodes <laughs> to go. I have been told not to watch past season six. That it's I... not good. I don't necessarily, okay. I don't agree with that. I think there's still some gems. The, I would, the thing I would say is that with so many episodes, if I were to go back and rewatch, I don't even know if I would rewatch every episode. Okay. There, there are some good episode guides as far as what to really check out and then maybe what you can kind of move along and not not be too stressed out about. Got so. It. There's some good ones after, yeah, it's after great. season there, six, though. Chemistry is, like, very spicy off the bat. That's only episode three. You Just you wait. I know. That's what I'm excited for. I also love Jillian Anderson. She's in Sex Education now on Netflix, which is so good. And she looks even more beautiful as a blonde. But very good acting. I, first time I, I met her, and hell, every time I've met her, was very much a moment of just in awe of the overall personality yeah. of Jillian Anderson. She's someone that you're just like, I'm in love with you, and and <laughs> I'm going to turn into a, a puddle of goo. <laughs> and not, not in a creepy way. It's just like yeah. she just exudes like that energy. Yeah. So. Is she in your hot tub? Is she in my hot tub? I don't know. I still haven't thought I about know, the hot haven't. tub. I know, you haven't. Okay. What's your pop culture? Mine is a new one called Love Lovecraft Country, <gasps> which just premiered on Sunday it. on HBO. Yes, did you like it? Yeah. I I really quite liked it. The only one I've only seen the one episode, and it's set during a Jim Crow era, and. There's actually a lot of humor in it, but a lot of horror. And the notion is that the main character travels from the South to Chicago. He receives a letter from his estranged father, and he's on the case. He brings his uncle and his and his best friend with him on this cross-country trip in search of the father. And they encounter 
creatures along the way. Again, only the first episode has has played, but it's really focused on these the lives of these black characters, and it's not doesn't fall into that sort of white savior type of narrative that you see in in certain similar things and and hell monsters and what's kind of great is so lovecraft country is obviously taken from hp lovecraft who was both a genius but also a horrible racist and and this kind of takes ownership over some of that and and i think kind of I know if if Lovecraft is turning in his grave or wherever he's spending his afterlife pissed off about um, a show based uh, focusing on black people that taps into his uh, creations. I'm all for it because yeah, uh, right. he was he was a dick. But but he wrote some really imaginative stuff. So, yeah, it's the first episode I really enjoy. And it's not the same. It's going to be compared to Watchmen, I'm sure, which I loved uh-huh. Watchmen. Watchmen was genius piece of work. It'll be compared to that, but it's not this. It, it, they are not the same. This is has science fiction, more science fiction elements. It's definitely lighter in tone, despite some heavy elements. And it's, it, it's, it's fun. It's, so it's fun. So I would say... Check it out if you love monsters, if you love horror, if you uh, just love checking out something new. And um, yeah, that's that's my pitch for Lovecraft Country on HBO Sundays. Yeah, I want to watch it. I was going to watch it Sunday, but I'm going to wait and watch it with someone. So it'll be fun. Excellent. Well, I think we've come to the end of another Nightmarica. Yeah. Thanks, guys. If you like Nightmarica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmarica and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice, which is for entertainment purposes only, email nightmaricashow at gmail.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.